Hey, you're listening to Sessions. On this episode, we chat with Stefan Ango, co-founder of Lumi, about finding the company, design thinking, and making sure that creativity is infused in the whole process. Hey there, and welcome to Sessions, a podcast presented by Matt Black, the creators behind the Shapeshift Report. I'm Micah Haycoop, the Director of Strategy and Culture, and today we're actually recording from downtown Los Angeles as opposed to our office, and I'm here with Stefan Ango, the co-founder of Lumi. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, man. No, I'm stoked about this. One, I'm glad to be out of our office recording. Two, we are in your apartment, or uh-huh. your, which, I mean, it's gorgeous. Okay. I can't oversell this enough. You will, you can, you might see some hashtag content on my Snapchat later. Um, but thank you for hosting us here. Um, it was really, it was really just because I, I, I was too lazy to go all the way to the other side of town. So we'll, we'll take it. Uh-huh. We'll take it. So we always start off with a few rapid fire questions, get to know you. So three of them. Yeah. What's the last book you read? Okay. So I don't have a good answer about that because I really have been very lax about my book reading. Yeah. However, I uh, I just started reading a book called A Pattern Language, which Hi. is a very uh, it's a book about architecture, but it's a book on a meta level about architecture. Like here are the types of rooms, types of places that exist across all types of um, cities and and houses, like a courtyard, a archway, a, you know, a connecting room between a garden <laughs> and a living room. Like, it's the components of uh, architecture. So I've been really into, like, meta books, uh, like books about... Uh, is, it, is it about the concept of those things or how they're done differently across the across the world it's it's kind of no it's not about how they're done differently it's about the function of, of like those, a courtyard of those things within uh the overall structure so it's about how you it's like uh, it's like lego blocks like yeah here are different types of things that you can assemble into a house or an apartment or a city yeah did you, have, did you ever read architecture of happiness no, that sounds familiar. Though. That's like another. Well, it may sound familiar because I think it's the book. It's the book that Joseph Gordon-Levitt's character reads in Five Hundred Days of Summer. Uh, okay, which I think is how a lot of people know it. But it's this really kind of nice book by an, uh, a guy who's an architecture um, archi- uh, writer, and it's about how different pieces of architecture make you feel. Ah, so like why your brain likes symmetry or like why certain buildings make you happy and some make you sad. It's actually a pretty quick read too. Next question: What's your drink of choice? <laughs> I have like like seven drinks of choice. Okay. Is that okay? Yeah, it depends on the time of day and okay. the mood. Uh, right now, I'm drinking tea. I'm drinking loose leaf tea. Okay, black uh, tea, green tea, oolong. Okay, uh, but I don't know. I I've been making uh, a lot of broths lately chicken broths and stuff like that and i'm like trying to give you out of the box answers is this the same thing as bone broth sure yeah okay like i've I've, I've read about this yeah i've been making a lot of broths and i like it's kind of weird like sometimes i'm walking around the office and i I have like a mug of it looks like i'm drinking coffee but secretly i'm drinking broth that i made that's what does broth fill you up it's kind of nice it's like sometimes it doesn't fill you up 
it's it's like it's a liquid. I mean, it's not it's yeah. not it's like you'd feel about as full as drinking, you know, water, but it's a little bit uh it's like a little bit sustenance. thicker. Yeah. I've I feel I would nap so much if I drink broth. No, I don't is think it, so. Do you I, heat it up or is yeah, it Yeah, I heat it up and it, oh it it's goodness. it's more energizing. I think it's not it doesn't make me feel sleepy at all. I feel like I would just be transported back to like a simpler time of childhood and be like, "Oh, like it would be like the comfort of drinking like it'd be like eating chicken noodle soup at work or something." I'm I'm also I just started making my own kombucha. I'm like turning into a hippie, I think. A little a little bit. Yeah. With the broth and the kombucha. What okay, but what about so you said you had like seven drinks. So we got broth, we got okay. tea. Is there anything else? Well, there's there's tea, there's coffee, there's kombucha, there's I drink a lot of water. That's water is solid. good. Uh, I, and then you know I, I was I was very much on the mezcal train for a little bit. Oh. Uh, I feel like everybody got on the mezcal train. They did. So we're now, dr- we're drinking Mexico out of mezcal. I read an article about oh, it. Man, I'm, I know that's I'm not worrisome. surprised. So I feel like I need to. I I I feel like everybody. I get uncomfortable when everyone agrees that something is great. So I, I need to, like, go find the next thing that nobody likes Are right you now. Dr- are you drinking, like, Brennivin? That's, like, the Icelandic, oh, the Icelandic I don't spirit think, or something? I, no, that stuff is no... That just is, like... I think that's probably objectively bad. It is I objectively think, bad. I think nobody agrees that that's good. So if you're not on Mezcal, then what's the next? I don't know yet. You, don't, really you don't. just don't want to announce it on the pod. You don't want... I don't want, I don't want to spread it. I, you know, it's like every time... I, I feel like such a yeah, such a terrible. I'm like that guy now. It sucks. Those those are supposed to be rapid fire, but I feel like we could talk about those all day. But we we are here to actually talk about Lumi, which is your company. Yeah. And what I'd love to do is actually just get like a slight overview of what you guys do from you, and then maybe go back and talk a little bit about um uh, about how you got to that point in your background. So could you give us like a the elevator pitch of Lumi? Yeah. Well, so basically we make packaging for online brands. So mostly e-commerce companies use us. Uh, so what we do is basically we have a, a broad global network of factories all over the world. And we take all the different orders from these different uh, e-commerce companies to basically uh, aggregate them and get everyone the best pricing from the best manufacturers. And then uh, the other component is that we have uh, an online management platform that allows you to basically uh, kind of create your own dashboard of all the items that you're frequently reordering um, across, you know, a wide variety of packaging goods. Yeah, from a shipping perspective, like I always need six exactly. by six by six boxes or something. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and that way we we really reduce the amount of work that you have to do in terms of communicating with all the different vendors uh and and different factories that you might have to work with um and basically kind of integrate that and centralize that into like an online dashboard and then there's a big customization element to the packaging correct Mm -hmm. right so it's not just a it's not just the logistics it's you guys are coming in with the creative side of the brain as well well, we don't do um, design. We don't we don't do like brand or packaging design, so to speak. We do a little bit of structural design sometimes for certain customers, yeah. uh, where you know they have something that they're trying to achieve with um, the product they're selling needs to be needs to be protected in a certain way. So we uh, might help them actually structurally design what the box or or the product needs to look like. But then they'll take the what we call a die line, which is like the artwork yeah uh, the, yeah the, the file that will be used to actually cut out uh the material and they'll put in their artwork so we don't actually do graphic design but we do help on the design yeah some, to some extent and then 
on top of that, are you guys acting as a 3PL or no, no. not at all? No, we work with 3PLs. 3PLs, yeah. uh, and we actually we actually make packaging for 3PLs yeah. as well. So, oh, okay. so we typically what we do is deliver to the 3PLs. The 3PL is, is third-party logistics, which are usually the companies that are involved in fulfilling uh, the items. So, you know, a brand will uh, store their clothing or whatever they sell at the 3PL and then we actually ship the packaging to them and then they assemble that and ship out the orders on behalf of that brand. So one of the things we were talking about before the podcast was almost the um, how unique this was. It was really interesting uh, for us. We wanted to come do this interview because it seems like so much now is focused on the good side, the, the consumer side, that you look down the supply chain and saw a big opportunity that, I mean, things are always going to have to physically move around. I had a conversation like a week, like a week ago with someone about this until we're three 3d printing everything inside our homes or something. But yeah, there, there, you, you, until we live in, in an entirely virtual reality world uh, where we don't have to, have any kinds of yeah. <laughs> physical goods, I guess. But even then, well, there's an expression my co-founder came up with, which we like to remind ourselves of. It's you can't eat bits for breakfast. Like you, you can't eat bits. Like yeah. you, some <laughs> eventually you. We're need, talking computer bits here. Yeah, computer bits. You you need to feed yourself. You need to. You have legs. You have you know organs. You yeah. have you know you have a a physical body, and so there's only so far that uh, technology will take us before we we encounter the realities of the physical world true so i think to loop back on that question is i i'm curious as to like how you arrived here so can we talk a little bit about your background and, and kind of leading up to lumi because you grew up you grew up in paris i believe i did yeah and yeah. so was that how, how long were you in paris for 17 years 17 years Wait, born there or you just moved there i was born there and then you were there through high school yep exactly that was, that's and why was that just parents were from there or my my dad is french and my mom is uh from california nice and then where'd you end up going to university uh i went to uh, a school in colorado called colorado college okay and what'd you major in biology oh man <laughs> i love this okay and so what can you trace the path from there for us to what you're doing now from college well i mean if I, and you can and you can maybe just hit the inflection points uh -huh. for us but i mean how did you end up doing something that seems so heavy in yeah i mean a, a lot of different i won't run th i'll let you run through it but well i mean i don't know exactly where to begin i think you know when i was growing up in um in france um I, you know, I was, I always enjoyed design, but I didn't know that that was a profession really until, uh, I was actually partway through my biology degree. Um, I had always been involved in like web design and, you know, kind of making things, uh, photography, all kinds of stuff like that, creative areas, uh, growing up, but it was, it was more of a hobby and not, not something that I imagined, uh, doing as a career. So, uh, when I went to school, I was, you know, following another passion of mine, which is biology, especially like evolutionary biology and, and animals and that kind of stuff. Um, and then discovered design. I was like on a trip to China and I went to a, uh, what, you know, Muji? Um, yeah, the yeah. store. Uh, they, they have a, they're Japanese, but they have a big flagship store in, in Shanghai. And I was like looking at all this stuff around me and I was like, this is so cool. I love how this is designed. And it hit me all of a sudden that somebody, had made a decision 
about everything that was in that store or, or people were involved in designing everything. I just had never really appreciated the fact that, um, you know, when you look at a cup, someone had to decide the like diameter of that thing and like the thickness and what material is it going to be made out of. And it was kind of like a, you know, like Neo in the matrix moment. Like suddenly I was like looking at the you world see it. and yeah. everything was like, Oh wow. Somebody decided to make this this way. And I was like, that could be a job for me. I could do that. Um, so I graduated, I, I found a way to like start building a portfolio while I was still studying biology. And then after I graduated, I went back to Europe, um, and worked at an industrial design firm, uh, in Holland, um, in the, in the, the Netherlands, Netherlands, um, in Delft, uh, where there's a lot of industrial design happening. Um, and it was really cool. I, I was an intern there and I got to work on a lot of different projects, everything from like um, we were doing a lot of uh, beer-related projects for Grolsch and Heineken, um, like designing uh, signage and all kinds of stuff for them. We were doing electronics for TomTom Tom and, and uh, this company called Tefal, or Tefal, I'm not sure how you pronounce it. It's like a cookware uh, brand. And then cow milking machines. Like We were doing like all wow. this different industrial design work. Um, and I was like, oh, I love this. I want to do this. So I decided to go back to school. Uh, to study industrial design. So where'd you go this time? Uh, I went to Art Center in Pasadena. So that's what brought me to Los Angeles. Um, and and when I was studying there, I met um, my co-founder, uh, Jesse Janae, who we started Lumi together. Um, she and I started at the same time um, doing <laughs> industrial design. And she had, she's from Detroit. She had a background in sort of, it's interesting fashion but also engineering her her stepfather is like a really fascinating engineer um and entrepreneur and i think she she's always had that kind of entre- entrepreneurial mindset and she had started working on a thing called incodie which is a printing process yeah. i don't know if you heard about i've this. heard of it yeah okay so um we started basically we started our first business like the first business that we started together is around a product called Incodai, which we started as we were in school um and in 2009 um we did a kickstarter campaign for uh products that were they were like wallets and bags that were made and also printed using this printing process which is a really unusual printing process it's based on a photosensitive dye uh, that we developed and and manufactured um, that basically allows you to print photography on uh, fabric and on leather and other natural materials. I'm I'm going all over the place. I'm trying to hit no. the like highlights. No, these, no, these, <laughs> these are the highlights. Yeah, Don't worry. yeah. Uh, but basically, you know, we were one of the very first Kickstarter campaigns ever uh, back in 2009, and we raised thirteen thousand dollars, and it was like a really big success. Yeah, uh, for it was like one of the biggest Kickstarter campaigns ever, and like the founders of Kickstarter came out to Los Angeles, and we had a big party, and it was like it was so fun. Um, it was spent, like such a spent thirteen thousand dollars on a party. No, well, I mean, not really. What we ended up doing is buying. No, they. I remember they actually like. It's so funny because they uh, they bought all the booze for the party because it was the first Kickstarter meetup in Los Angeles. Cool. Um, and <laughs> I, I just it was such. a... have never lived in New York, but it was an interesting cultural uh, moment where they bought so much booze. Um, and I think that in New York, people you know can get home using the subway more easily, but in Los Angeles, everybody has to drive. Oh, yeah, so, yeah. like, 
we <laughs> we had booze for like a year oh, after just, that. Just that was left just like over. Left over That's from amazing. from the Kickstarter party. It was so much. It was funny, but um, yeah. So we did this Kickstarter campaign, and that kind of like launched uh, us down this path of like creating this business around Inkodai and. Uh, eventually, we did another Kickstarter campaign a couple years later that raised like two hundred sixty-eight thousand dollars. It was huge, um, and basically allowed to put uh, allowed us to put this like dye more into production and helped us build a factory uh, where we were manufacturing this dye. And we what we did with the dye it's like a colorless liquid essentially that when you put it in sunlight it uh, develops its yeah. color so it, like it'll be colorless and then become blue, kind of like. Um, cyanotype or other photo emulsions yeah like photo emulsion that you use for screen printing where you can like burn it out yeah except it comes in a lot of different colors and it's optimized for fabric so once it binds itself to the fabric it activates the color and it becomes permanent so you can print photography onto fabrics Uh, so what we did is we built kits we made kits that we sold uh, to art supply stores, it was in. It was also in Urban Outfitters. It was like all over the place for for a little while there, but it's mostly in art supply stores now. And um, and you know, it was at that time where people were starting to, uh, you know, for a while. I think the internet has always been an amazing place to create digital stuff, right? You can create a website like from your own, uh, you know dorm room or whatever like i had a lot of experiences like that uh growing up i loved kind of the the power that it gives you to be able to you're just sitting at your desk somewhere and you can create something and lots of people get to see it well kickstarter and some of these other tools were allowing you to do that but in a more physical way uh kickstarter allowed you to get funding for you know the manufacture of something uh that is a hard good the physical we were talking about yeah um but there were also other great software tools that were coming out like shopify was brand new um which is like an online platform that helps you build a store yep. uh stripe was brand new which is like a thing that lets you like merchant services yeah like get payments like before stripe and before shopify which it seems like not that long ago it's only you know less than 10 years but in order to to start accepting payments online you had to build like a whole payment stack and you had to go to the bank and get a special merchant account and like there's all of these like PCI compliance rules, but now all of that is taken care of and you can basically just hook up a regular bank account and start accepting payments like literally in less than a day. So those services were starting to come out. You know, there's a million other ones like MailChimp for newsletters and like, you know, various uh, like help desk software. So like all these different tools were coming out and they were really, they allowed, they allowed us to like grow our business um, quickly and efficiently and focus on what we were good at doing, which was like making dye, um, you know, and building our factory and like in- investing in the knowledge that we had developed around this, this manufacturing process. Um, but, you know, <laughs> as I was mentioning earlier, you eventually kind of hit the constraints of uh, the digital world and you're starting to deal with physical real world problems, which is how do you ship stuff? How do you make things like in that whole area was much, much harder than all the digital stuff. Um, and one of the areas we had the most trouble with was with packaging. Um, not that, it, like, we just needed to learn everything from scratch in order to achieve, like, what we wanted to achieve, which was really just put this product out there. Yeah. Um, so we, we sort of, uh, you know, we were making packaging for retail. We were, you know, uh, making shipping boxes to ship out to customers. 
uh, we were working with the 3PL for a while and, you know, had, uh, you know, boxes for them. So there was a lot of boxes going on, a lot of different uh, printed components going on. And that's where we sort of started learning about this and, and just started to get an inkling that there might be something there. Yeah. Yeah. So that's and, like where some of that stuff came from. And so then what year did Lumi start in? Well, Lumi is like Incodai was part of Lumi. Mm. Um, so officially it started like in 2009 or eight around that time. Um, but we basically what we did was when we started the new version, <laughs> this like packaging service, yeah, the... we, we sort of rebooted. And so like for, if you want to count from that time, it's, almost exactly two years because we started that like January 1st, 2015. And wow. we're just about there now. Wow. later. So if I'm a, I'm a brand, like what size brand should be using Lumi? Like at what yeah. point do people need to start thinking about packaging in the way that you guys are thinking about it? Well, you know, we try to have solutions for, for pretty much any size brand. Um, like we really think of ourselves as, um, kind of like Amazon web services for packaging. Like we want to scale up with you. So we, there, <laughs> we have, I mean, like to give you a range of like what people might spend uh, on packaging with us. Like we have customers who will spend $30 or less and what they might be purchasing is like a rubber stamp. So we'll make, we make rubber stamps um, and we also sell blank off the shelf, regular like stock packaging, like similar to what you might get from Uline, but like cheaper. I and, hate <laughs> dealing with Uline. So yeah, don't get me started on yeah. that. Um, so, you know, we, that's very affordable. Anyone can do it. It comes in like bundles, like most of our blank packaging comes in bundles of 50 and it's like available, you know, it ships within a couple days. So you can get started. And like, if you're just, uh, if you're just starting with your brand, you can, you know, get a rubber stamp and some blank boxes and be like done for like less than a hundred dollars. Um, but then we have customers who are spending hundreds of thousands of dollars on one order and they're getting hundreds of thousands of boxes, which are shipping in like full truckloads to uh, multiple distribution centers. Um, and so, and we are facilitating that whole uh, pro program, like actually all the manufacturing happening in different factories, uh, consolidating those things. Some of the stuff is coming from China. Some of it's coming from different places uh, around the U.S. And then moving that into uh, 3PLs. So like there's very heavy duty logistics happening there, but we want to be able to help you transition from like the, the smallest thing, which might be like a rubber stamp or a, a paper embosser all the way up to your shipping, you know, hundreds of thousands of packages each month. Dude, I mean, that's so insane too. And, and probably a goal that a lot of brands would have or right. Whether you have a good or a service that you have something that you can scale with people right? right as opposed to there being like this pretty high floor that until you get to 10 grand a month 100 grand a month you can't you can't work with well like and, and, and the problem is that um that's what we ran into like we've been there um we ran into that problem yeah. and nobody was telling us hey you're about to hit a new problem and like we want to be those people who basically see where you're at and kind of anticipate the next problem that you're going to have and say like hey you know um you might want to start considering custom packaging now because your approach is, you know, uh, now you're at the volume where the amount of money you're spending could be better spent towards custom packaging. Or 
uh, you're in this place where, I mean, there's a, there's so many different configurations depending on what types of products you're selling that sometimes it's just very hard to know what's right. And we have like, we try to put ourselves in a situation where we can be objective about, we, we're not trying to like sell you a certain type of thing because that's what we have. We try to have all of the capabilities so that we can suggest the right thing for you. Because at the end of the day, you can save, you can help these brands. You can pay for yourself if you help them save on shipping in some way, right? And a lot of the times, whether it be cutting down package size or streamlining a lot of that stuff, they can end up saving money if they didn't have someone who's an expert in it helping. Yeah, I mean, there's that. but And then there's also just like we have a very long-term view about our relationships with our customers. Like, you know, we... You know, we think that the businesses that we're working with today are customers that we want to have for 10 years or more. And so, you know, it, it, if you, you can go out of business by not making good decisions around your packaging. You can go out of business by overspending on inventory that you're keeping in your warehouse. And like now your cash is like locked into all this packaging that you don't need just sitting there. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we don't want to put our customers out of business. We don't want to like try and sell them more of something right now so that they, you know, give us the money now, but then, you know, a year down the road, they're like, that was a terrible decision. Now we're never going to use this company again, or now we're out of business because we, you know, didn't plan our resources correctly. Uh, So we, we try to take a long-term view about that. So one of the things that's interesting to me about all of this, when the way that we talked about your background, which is like a focus on design in mm-hmm. a lot of ways, right? Industrial design specifically. We then talk about these types of issues that people are dealing with. Like we've talked about the PLs and logistics. And a lot of people that I meet now view those as two completely different things, mm-hmm. Right. How do you, as someone who is a designer or someone who studied design, manage issues like that that are that seem to be the other side of the brain when you're thinking in terms of like logistics, mm-hmm. shipping, freight? Um, I'm sure you're dealing with like tariffs and like going overseas and all of the red tape that's around that. How do you, as a designer, approach things that would normally be seen as an operations issue? Yeah, I think it's a good question. I think there's a there's a few different answers. The first one is, you know, logistics and supply chain is a means to an end. The customers that we're working with care about design. And so uh, it helps that we care about design too because they can trust us a little bit more to do a good job. Like, you know, if they specify a Pantone color, uh, we know that it's important to them. And we know that it's important that that Pantone color is not only like on their boxes, but properly matched to their tape and to their, you know, whatever other things that we're making for them. Um, so bringing the, like, it, the, the QC kind of of a designer throughout the whole experience is something that we take really seriously. And then as designers ourselves, as a kind of design-driven organization, we try to imbue that in everything that we do. So, you know, a big part of what we're making is not only, like, building this, like, logistical system but the interface on top of it as well so the back end of lumi when you log in and you're you know uh managing different things we're we take building that tool and designing that tool very seriously so uh so that it's pleasant to use so that it's like it represents what you're doing well so that's where the design comes in so as the 
and then relating it back into this, as one of the co-founders, what's your kind of day-to-day role at Lumi right now inside of all of that? Because that's like an awesome, yeah. or like an interesting look at how design plays into yeah. each of those pieces. So for you, what are you focused on right now? Um, yeah, I mean, we're still a relatively small organization. We're about 16 people, and we manage a lot of different things. Um, so I, I wear a few different hats, but I'm... I'm sort of the CTO and the creative director. So I manage the development team and sort of lead the kind of design process around um, the tools and the marketing of how we like present all that stuff. Yeah. And have you seen more I, success is going to be the wrong word, but when you talk to brands, what are they more excited about? Is it the packaging itself and the options to that they can the simplification of the packaging or is it that back end that you're talking about and kind of how that uh, simplifies internal process for them? Well, within any organization, we work with a few different people. We work with the operational folks who basically are the decision makers usually on what that company can afford to do uh, and when they need everything by and what they need uh, functionally. And then we interact with the design teams who are involved in like the actual um, branding of these items. So I think that the different groups get excited about different things. And, um, you know, for sure, the designers love to, you know, look at stuff that we've made and uh, see all the potential that they have. You know, here's something that we could do that we hadn't thought about. So people definitely get excited about that. And then I think the logistics, operationally minded people, get excited about the fact that we're really simplifying their supply chain. Uh, We're reducing the number of different uh, vendors that they need to interact with. And we're most of the time saving them a lot of money. We're like, uh, you know, MeUndies, for example, is one of our biggest customers. Oh, Um, yeah. Their office is back-to-back with ours. Oh, cool. Yeah, we're we're right next to them. Yeah, so we've been making all their packaging now for over a year, I think. And, um, you know... That's a that's a perfect story of how, you know, we've been able to su- save them like hundreds of thousands of dollars because um, the way that they were making some of their items was basically being subcontract- subcontracted out, like without them knowing to like, you know, factories where they just had like the, the whole world of packaging is, is a little complicated because most of the factories don't do their own sales. Um, so you kind of it's easy to kind of get. There's like, like a, a middleman who doesn't have your best interest in mind. Well, there's that only that, but there's middlemen. It's it's middlemen all the way down. It's like, yeah. It's like because the problem is, you know, even once you get to the level of the factory, really the factory is like converting another good, which is paper, uh, which is cardboard. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're getting sheets of cardboard, and like the the people who make the cardboard are different from the people who cut it. And sometimes different from the people who make the tools to cut it. So, like, there's a lot of different players involved, and they're all kind of doing different things. And so it's hard when you're an outsider and you're just learning about this for the first time to, like, there's no way that you're going to have... Uh, <laughs> the, the, you're the, not going to get it right expertise. on the first time. Yeah, exactly. exactly. I'm never going to throw a box away again. <laughs> this is making me have so much it's, respect for my cardboard boxes. The cardboard box, I don't know. It, it, it's so funny because it's such an easy way for us to like figure out whether someone is going to be a good fit at Lumi. Like, you either think it's the most boring thing in the world or it's the most interesting in the world, which is both. <laughs> yeah, okay. So, so I, I wanted, like, we don't have to dwell on this point, but this is something that I think is so important for, like, 
people in the creative in creative fields today is that some people fail to see what is creative and what is amazing about like the in-between process. Some people can only think creativity is in brainstorms about like the idea itself, not on like one, the execution of the idea, the rollout of the idea, or like all of those things that go into making it happen. There are Mm -hmm. people who completely cannot see the fact that like, building a great like building great packaging or how that packaging is even being made or how you have to deal with like these middlemen and there's a machine that has to get cut and there's cardboard whatever mm-hmm. that they, they can't see the fact that the strategy and the process there is all creativity um and so you know you saying that saying that like you know if someone can work at Lumi or not based on how they view a cardboard box i think is so like can't be overstated how important that is yeah, I mean, it's self-serving for me to say that, but at the same time, like I, as an industrial designer, I it's the same thing as um, you know, like an aluminum can. Like the design of that is is genius. Like it's it's one of those things that you interact with every single day, but you don't think about how many of these are moving things all over the world all the time, and the the way they're you know both those two products. Uh, boxes cardboard boxes and aluminum cans are both incredibly uh recyclable and using recycled material they're actually like very environmentally friendly uh in the way they were designed they're very strong they have like yeah without using too much material they have incredible properties that you you completely take for granted and as a designer as an industrial designer that's what i'm interested in uh professionally at least is like i love doing the boring stuff like i really i think like a brick is a is a cool thing like the coolest thing you can design is something that nobody will notice and that makes everybody's life better all the time uh as opposed to like something flashy that's going to end up in a landfill so for you personally then as a designer how and i know you're saying that lumi doesn't do a lot of the like the graphic design or those those types of decisions for brands how much do you give your input on things like that? Or do you just because that you're like, hey, I prefer to be the one who's helping you design like the elegant box. And I'm going to let you decide the print on the tape. Well, we definitely try to help people understand how the manufacturing process is going to translate their design into the real world. Because I think a lot of the companies that we work with, um, because We've sort of specialized in e-commerce. Um, we have a lot of young companies. We have a lot of companies that are founded by young entrepreneurs uh, working with young designers who have mostly been involved in designing for the digital world, for the screen. And there's very different constraints when it comes to like the printing processes that we use, such as like flexographic printing, um, which, you know, is it's going to have certain imperfections. It's going to, certain things are going to happen when the ink touches the cardboard and you kind of want to account for that. And sometimes designs come in and it's obvious that um, they haven't been considered uh, for the manufacturing process. Oh yeah. And, and, and the fact that when you're looking at printing, we were doing this last week with one of our coffee clients, like we were looking at the box they ship in and you look at the box as on a flat piece of paper and right, it's this kind of like crazy geometric shape, and they're right. like, "Well, it's going to fold up like this, and then it's going to fold up like this." And if you don't, if you don't take the time to think through, okay, like imagine this square and this square that are far away from each other on this piece of paper are actually going to be right next to each other once this whole thing gets manufactured. 
oh, we put our logo literally on like three walls next to each other and nowhere nowhere else or right. something, right? Like you don't you don't think through it all the way. Yeah. And I it, and this is like I could ramble on about this forever. Um but what what I do want to make sure that we touch on um is the fact you have a podcast too. Can you tell us a little bit about the podcast that you do? Sure. It's called Well Made. Uh it's about um I guess the the thing that we talk about is the intersection of design and business, but that that's a I think we need to rephrase that. Basically, it's really just an excuse for me to like talk to people that I really admire or, you know, friends that I haven't ca- caught up with in a little while who who do this type of work, but essentially um, you know, all our customers pretty much are are entrepreneurs or part of businesses that are growing. And so the the podcast is an opportunity for us to like um talk about that and what um you know, what different people have discovered, things that are working, things that are not working. Uh, and and then I just try to throw in stuff that I'm interested in also. Yeah, and just give you, it is like almost give you an excuse to have the space to have those conversations. Exactly. You're like, I'm going to have these two conversations anyway. I might as well, I might as well record them. Or I'm, I'm not going to have them unless oh, they're yeah. recorded. <laughs> because once you go out your way to get other, it. Because the other people, uh, you know, who are involved are, are so busy that, you know, whatever. Yeah. So I and this is I'm guessing uh, you can get this on the Apple Podcast. You can it's get all the, SoundCloud yeah. everywhere. Just search for Well Made Podcast. Right. Um, we I I gotta let you go. Gotta be respectful of your time at this point. But um, we have one final question. We always wrap up with something a, a little different than what you're working on. Let's say that money was no object. Oh man, Mo- I didn't. I, I I saw this question. I don't. I, I didn't, didn't think about. It. I didn't. It. I didn't prepare for it. I didn't you, think but you, about it. But you know, like all of a sudden, there's just like money appears in your bank account, right? Or or the world stops accepting money or something, and you well, that's don't. A very different scenario. And you do, okay. We'll we'll go with the first scenario. We, we'll um. And I you have infinite money. You have infinite money. You don't have to do Lumi anymore. Well, yeah. And maybe you know. keep doing it. You could. You could be like, yo, I love it right now, and I'm going to keep doing it. I don't think that I, my life would be that different. I, I think that if I had infinite money, I would basically try to give it away somehow. I don't think that I would uh, do things really that differently, basically. <laughs> I, might, yeah. I might travel a little bit more or, you know, I, I think that maybe I would try to travel more. Um, and I really enjoy, um, you know, working from a different location. So, like, lately I've been really feeling like I would love to go to Japan. I th- I've never been, and I think it would be really inspirational. I- I'd love to go there. I don't know. I think one thing that I've learned in my business and uh, as a business person and as a designer is, like, the power of constraints. Like, when you don't have very much yeah. money, when you don't have very much time, when you don't have very many resources, like, you get more creative. You, oh, my gosh. I could talk about that forever. <laughs> you make such better decisions when you have no money. Yeah. Oh, man. So I don't know that I would... I, I think I would try to limit myself somehow to, like, you know, I'd have to force myself to see the constraints uh, that still exist in order to... Uh, yeah. Yeah. I, 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 I'll take that. I mean, I feel like a big extension of this, of, like, this episode would be, like, the... The concept of like fine, like the fact that everything needs creativity, not just not just like the big front facing ideas. Because yeah. I mean, like even you talking about that, right? Like setting constraints which allow you to um, 
they, it's like setting the box to allow you to get outside the box if I put it in like the corniest way possible. Um, or what you're doing, you, you went and you said like, hey, I'm an industrial designer. I don't just need to make furniture, which I think a lot of industrial designers do make furniture. They make, I mean, a ton of electronics different uh, electronics. Or, like, or, yeah, for, I mean, furniture, right. kitchenware, like everything, all the stuff that right. people need. Yeah, I mean, you found like the passion and the joy in the, in the delivery of other people's products. And mm-hmm. hopefully they've put that same thought that same thought into their product but um you know at the at the end of the day i think people should consider a lot more the all of the in-between steps and 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 knowing that without those the the big ideas are never going to happen and that's an equal amount of creative power that goes into both um that that's obviously a conversation for another time but i think something that's equally important and something that you seem to have mastered pretty well i don't know if i've mastered it but yeah i think yeah yeah, I mean, if I had, I'm I'm still thinking about the idea, the question. But mm-hmm. like, yeah, if you, I I would love to like give more to like lots of charities and lots of um, research projects that I think like one of the biggest issues that we we don't publicize too much about Lumi yet because we feel like we haven't quite earned it yet. But like the environmental aspect of what we do is so important to us. Like, you know, people think of packaging as you know, wasteful. And sometimes it really is. And so like, we have a big responsibility to like, we view our responsibility as building scale so that we can change the industry. And maybe if I had like, you know, infinite money in my bank account, that would be a shortcut to doing that. Like maybe I would be able to uh, push things through that would allow us to do that. Like, achieve that goal more rapidly yeah maybe i mean it's it's hard to tell even if that would work but i guess in theory it's possible yeah definitely all right so really quick before we sign off can you give us all the places that people can find lumi and then where we can find you online as well sure so lumi is spelled l-u-m-i and you can find us at lumi.com we're at lumi on all the social networks um our instagram is is pretty popular we have a lot of if you're into packaging, there's a lot of good pictures there. Um, and then uh, as far as I'm concerned, I'm Kepano, K-E-P-A-N-O on everything. Well, I I mean, I really appreciate the time. Thanks for taking it. Sure. Thanks for having the conversation <laughs> with us. I could keep going for I, I mean, yeah, we could too, but we're going to, we'll, we'll have to do a part two at some point. Hey guys, thanks for listening. Remember to check out the Shapeshift Report at shapeshiftreport.co. We'll see you next time.